Hello and welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with my good buddy, Martin Busy Dude Willis. Yeah. Yeah. A little busy. busy out there, huh? But that's a good thing. Yep. Yep. Oh, I got to keep this brain busy. Boy, I'll tell Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. If you don't keep your brain busy, it goes too mush. Or dark places. Ooh, oh, yeah, that's even worse. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of dark places to go. So yeah. let's keep you busy. We'll keep your brain busy. So uh, speaking of which, you know, I, I need to, I, I want to start mentioning this at the beginning of the show because I don't mind, but I want people to know, you know, uh, at the beginning, the first segment of the show here with me and Martin for the first about 24 minutes, go over UFO news. So we're going to have the latest UFO news in just a minute here. And then the actual uh, interview starts uh, at about 24 minutes. So sometimes people like to skip ahead. So I want to let people know that. But um, let's get into the new news first, but I do want to introduce who my guest is going to be, and that is Mike DeMonte, a cool name, I think, but uh, he is the guy who runs uh, Punk Rock and UFOs, a cool blog. Uh, He's also written a couple books. Those books are Punk Rock and UFOs, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy, and then Punk Rock and UFOs, True Believers. So Mike is a journalist uh, by trade. He's, that's what his degree is in. He's written for the Houston Chronicle quite a bit. Um, he was a staff writer for them. He's still writing for them regarding music. So that's one of his big beats is music. Um, he also ri- has written for sports and other topics. But music is kind of a big one. That's the punk rock um, you know, thing in his, his title. But it's really helpful to talk to someone, you know, who's a journalist and, and kind of his viewpoint as to, uh, you know, being someone who's, who's trained in mainstream journalism. What does he think of what's going on right now? In fact, mm-hmm. I've read some of his blogs and that's why I'm having him on is that I think he's got some really interesting perspectives and, and things to say. Mm-hmm. Also, we talk about why punk rock and UFOs. What does punk rock have to do with UFOs? Some of us might kind of you know, uh, intuitively think, oh, I get what the thing is. But we'll talk to Mike about that. And I think it's an interesting perspective he has on that as well. He does share that in his first book, which is about cryptozoology, because he likes other paranormal kind of uh, topics. And then his second book, True Believers, is actually more focused on UFOs and kind of the UFO community and what the UFO community feels. Now, he has had his own sighting, and that's what has has inspired him. So he's... uh, Definitely really into the topic and and feels there's something to it. So uh, great interview. I had a lot of fun talking to him, and uh, we'll have that interview coming up after the news. But first, UFO news, Mr. Martin. Well, um, today uh, there's a lot of great stuff. And actually, if you go into the uh, UFO headlines over at 
Open Minds TV, you'll see some uh, links um, to some great stories. And this one here, this is a blog by Cheryl Costa. I know she's been on your show a number of times. Um, and uh, she writes for the Syracuse New Times. Uh, she does a, a blog there. And, uh, you know, it's been several years now um, on this topic of UFOs. And this particular blog I find very interesting because it's something that I talk about quite a bit, actually, and get asked about. And uh, the title is Timing is Everything for UFO Observations. Um, well, she writes this like she's uh, actually telling the story uh, here. So I will go uh, in some quotes here. As a UFO researcher and journalist, folks frequently ask me about when people observe UFOs. Uh, I usually smile and reply, that's not an easy answer. And she continues, after Linda Miller Costa and I built the UFO sightings database, which we used to create our 2017 book, the title of that book is UFO Sighting Desk Reference. We began to process um, the process of analyzing the, ra the raw data on a relatively superficial level. In 2017, we could tell you that the UFO sighting reports were generally driven by three principal factors. I find this interesting. Population, temperate weather, and leisure time which is something I never thought of, but that makes sense. Yeah, it does since, make sense. Yeah. Since 2018, we have had the opportunity to dig deeper into the data, which now totals 146,800 sighting reports. By utilizing some creative algorithms, we've been able to refine our understanding of the UFO sighting phenomena, and there are more factors, uh, population, regional, seasonal weather, daily seasonal activity and time of day. Uh, the, the, this part here I find very interesting because uh, she continues on here. Whenever I publish a listing of the top states for UFO sightings, I get a flood of social media responses that inform me the reason California is number one is because of its population. In-depth examination of the data reveals that California is a unique situation. California crosses nine lines of latitude, which makes the state a complex model. As an experiment, I constructed a pseudo-California using the East Coast states, which by the same lines of latitude and similar landmass, California's population in 2018 was 39.56 million. By comparison, the pseudo-California represented on the East Coast was 52 million people. And guess what? The East Coast model has far less UFO sighting reports. I really think a lot of that's weather myself, but um, she does talk about that regional and seasonal weather. She goes into that and uh, not to take too much about this, you know, to take up too much time about this. But, the, you know, the daily seasonal activities, uh, there are more uh, sightings during uh, when people are busy outdoors, you know, doors doing things baseball games, you name it, things like that. Time of day, uh, in the United States, 72.6% of the UFO sighting reports generally occurs in the hours between 4 p.m. and midnight, and uh, with a peak between 9 and 10 p.m. In essence, um, you know, bedtime or the last smoke outside, walking the dog, you hear about that, smokers and dog walkers. The hours between midnight and 4 p.m. represent 27% of the typical day's UFO sightings. 
And we've noticed that after about 5 a.m., the daily UFO sightings volume is relatively flat, about 12.5% of of peak hours. Isn't that something? This is all really interesting to me. So, um, you know, when people in, uh, see UFOs in Alaska, the peak months are in the dark winter months and in the months with measures of light in the dark days. But uh, in May, June, and July, UFO sighting reports are at rock bottom. So the summer months are mostly all daylight all the time, or white nights as they sometimes call. Interesting stuff, isn't it? Are you there? Alejandro? Yes, I think it is really interesting stuff. Uh, I think it's just really hard uh, to cut up the data, I mean, in in a useful way. So, for instance, mirroring the, the West Coast with the East Coast states, I don't know that that's really accurate. And I don't – I think what she's getting at with this different geographic lines, because I did look at that story, is uh, they're different climates – uh, you know, mm-hmm. it changes. So, I mean, I think it would be more accurate to, to look at specific climates, uh, to segregate them and then look at those as opposed to kind of glomming big areas. Uh, because I think she has something. I mean, uh, I looked at one of the latest, or at least one of the reports I have up where, uh, I agree with those people who say how population is a big deal. Um, and when I just did it per population, per state, um, California dropped to 15. Now, of course, a state border is a pretty random line itself. I mean, it's just kind of just chosen out of yep. nowhere, you know, as mm-hmm. political reasons and stuff. So uh, it, it's just kind of segregation to populations and stuff. So, um so 15 is still pretty high for California per pop, you know, as far as sightings per person. But then again, that's just the number of reports. That's not good reports necessarily. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, I think weather, because it, it's nicer out in the Western states, which are higher, at least when I've put these together, typically, um, although Maine is pretty high too. Yeah, Maine. I forget where Maine is on, it's, on the uh, list. When I did per population, and let's see, this one's 2014, Maine was number nine. Mm, okay. Wow, yeah, that is pretty high. And yeah. we're very, very low population, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's something like 300,000, or I don't even know for sure, but it's, uh, it's pretty and low. 2014 is 1.3 million. That's close to 300,000. Which is yeah. still pretty low, I mean, in that... Uh, uh, you know, many cities have over more oh, yeah. than that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and in relation, California has you know nearly it probably has over about thirty nine million people. So, I should say it feels like there's about three hundred thousand people mm-hmm. here. Yeah, a lot of open land. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, so an interesting story. I think it's a great service she does to uh, tackle these numbers and to look at them and then to also offer up some ideas about them um, in her article. So, yeah, that was a good one. Let's see. What else did we have out there in headlines? We had. Before we move on, mm -hmm. let me just. just, I'd like to add just one last thing. Yeah. You know, because I'm sure people have asked you, you know, like when is a good time and all that. And it is so random. I mean, that's the one thing 
that's the one reason science stays away from, um, you know, UFO uh, researching is because of the random yep, ways really they hard. show up. You can't yeah. reproduce it. Well, and like she said, there's less sightings during the daylight hours and more at night. Mm. The problem with mm. the night things, of, of course, sightings is that just things that are normal can look abnormal at night. You know, when you see lights, you don't know what the light configuration is. Very likely those lights are on an aircraft. And if it was daylight, you would be able to see that, recognize that very quickly or a drone or, or what have you. Yeah. So. Um, you could tell people to look at night. The other problem with night is it's hard to identify things and it's even harder to photograph things. Um, so right. it may be best to tell people during the day. I just tell people um, they're seen everywhere. It is does seem to go better, you know, better to go to hot spots. Uh, but time, putting in the time, just looking up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're looking, most people looking down at their, Smartphones. Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly. looking up. Yeah. And going on with their daily lives. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, a couple other stories out there. There's an opinion piece out there uh, in the Buffalo News. It's Don Paul. Uh, he writes oh, yeah. what he believes about aliens. And um, he goes over, I think this is good. I know a lot of people interested in this stuff will be frustrated because he takes a skeptical look, but of course that's why I appreciate it. But essentially he's saying that, you know, there are a lot of sightings, so we can't just blow them all off, but, you know, that doesn't mean that they're all alien. And, and so he goes over, you know, a lot of some of the science and um, thoughts about if they're out there or, you know, how could they be out there? How would they get here? All of kind of the, the science around some of this stuff. And I think it's really interesting um, Don Paul, the guy who wrote the article, was a broadcast meteorologist for thirty-five or thirty-four years on Buffalo TV. You may say, "Well, what does that? Uh, how does that? Uh, you know, um, qualify him to speak on the science of this?" But mm -hmm. meteorologists, you know, do a lot of uh, science around. I mean, first of all, they, they use the Doppler, so they understand, you know, that sort of radar and everything, and then. Um, they also do, you know, they they learn a lot of science around climate and weather and how it works. And so uh, they also learn over the years, you know, about the types of things that um, can't see, uh, kind of cosmological phenomena as well. So um, in, in that respect, I mean, meteorologists are scientists. And um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. And I think what's great is just that he's talking about it. Right. Uh, we're seeing a bit of that now, mm -hmm. it seems. Uh, there was also a big meteor in Georgia. Oh, yeah. That That's was something. Tallahassee Democrat. Did you see that one? I did. Yeah, I mean, it really lit up the sky. Mm -hmm. That was something else. Yeah, that that made the news right away. This um, is a fun one. on my phone. Yeah. The uh, Russians did a flyby of Area 51, and this was written by Tyler Rogaway. Have you had yeah. him on your podcast yet? Uh, luckily, I have. Yes, he's I great. I thought so. Yeah, he's yeah. great. So he wrote a story. This is an interesting one that the Russians just did a flyby of Area 51. Dun, dun, dun. What are those mm -hmm. Russians up to? But this is not like some secret thing where they just secretly, you know, flew over and we caught them or something. This is a regularly scheduled program where 
there are agreements where they can fly over some of our stuff and we fly over some of their stuff, you know, and we're aware of it. So, I mean, that's just when, you know, hide anything you don't want to see. But this is a, they threw, they flew one of their TU-154M aircraft. Uh, you know, they get real specific on this website. Uh, but, mm-hmm. yeah, and took pictures of Area 51 and they've got some pictures of Area 51 and some more information about Area 51 on this article. Uh, yeah. about this situation that really is something and the, the open what is it called the um open skies treaty basically mm, it was yeah. signed back in 1992 and uh i think it's kind of almost bizarre that this treaty exists but uh that you can actually fly over and take pictures i mean it seems like we're always trying to hide things and everyone's trying to hide things but in a way i guess it's a good thing you know it kind of if it's a if it's an even playing field for everyone, I guess I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, I'm sure we're still trying to look at each other uh, and observe and, and do, you know, reconnaissance off of these times. But, uh, yeah, I guess it is at least some openness as far as – and, you know, I don't even know the whole history about it. Maybe it's to make sure that, you know, they can see what we're doing with our – you know, nuclear facilities right. and, and stuff like yeah. that. So we're all on the same page and we have some openness. But it is, I felt like you, I felt kind of like, hey, it's nice to have, you know, this cooperative uh, sort of program in the news as opposed to, of course, so much fighting and, and you know, stress. And, um, yeah. and it's and what's a real really- stressful time when it comes to the U.S. and American relations. Yeah, um, what I think is really interesting about this is it also states that a copy of all data collected will be supplied to the host country. So they actually give the uh, host country what they've surveilled. Mm -hmm. Yep. So if you're sneaking on to trying to sneak on to Area 51, the Russians might see you and say, hey, you got some goofballs over here (laughs) trying to sneak in Area 51. What if they see a saucer? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Hey, uh, we saw you got one of those aliens busted out of, you know, one of your containment areas at Area 51. We got a picture here of him crawling around, so you might want to. Yeah, it looks like a guy with glasses, Bob Lazar, maybe? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> spotting him down there. Yeah. So, uh, yep, so that's a good one. Uh, the Also, Billy Cox. So this is what's funny about Billy oh, yeah. Cox. You know who Billy Cox is, right? Yeah, he's in uh, Florida. Yeah, yeah Sarasota um, Herald Tribune is is something which is what he writes for. Again, he's another. I guess he's not full time there, um, so he kind of has to make a living on the side. He used to be a little bit more prolific with writing these stories, but he has a blog over there called Devoid, and um, he writes about UFOs. And it's funny because he's so well-known, at least amongst many of us in the UFO field, that uh, I kind of took it for granted uh, and thought, you know, oh, he's got to be so popular and everything. Um, But it is kind of a little unknown thing. And I could see why. I always make fun of his titles because they don't have UFO in them, and you wouldn't know what the hell he's writing about. That's right. I noticed that. And yeah. he doesn't, like, get on social media a lot. You can't, like, subscribe to an email so you're notified when his stories come up. Because his stories are great. So you got to go uh, search for him, at least, you know, check <laughs> back on his blog once in a while. But it's yeah. well worth it. And I'm, I just, this is a big plug for watching his site. 
Fortunately, yeah. I got to meet him for the first time in Alabama. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so he was at the SCUs. Yep, he was. And uh, he doesn't look like I, I thought he would look like for some reason. <laughs> I've even seen some pictures, uh, which are hard to find, but uh, that was kind of funny. But uh, it was great to meet him, and uh, he was there, and he just posted yesterday an article kind of overviewing his thoughts on the SCU presentation on the Nimitz case and some more, uh, a little bit more about, you know, um, the SCU event. He, he's got another article about the SCU event that he wrote, you know, uh, a week ago, but this one is newer. And uh, yeah, going over the Nimitz encounter, which was a great presentation that was done at the SCU conference. And of course, you've had Robert Powell on uh, most recently, and I think you're one of the few to have Robert Powell recently because he was waiting till he gets his Nimitz report out to do more yeah. interviews. But uh, so you, your listeners got some of the latest there, but they can see some more. And then that um, presentation that they did will be shared um, publicly in a not too distant future as well. Yeah, I can't wait till that's out. So yeah, the I don't know. I didn't hear you say that the title to this article is called "Drilling In." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not, <laughs> it's not clickbait, that's for sure. Yeah, it's not clickbait. And drilling in, you'd be like, "What the heck is he talking about?" And his titles are like that. So you know, I didn't get a lot of time to talk to him. I would love to talk to him some more, but um. I don't think that he really likes to draw attention to the fact that he writes about UFOs. Yes, I've written him in the past, <clears throat> never got a response to see if he'd come on my show, you know, but mm. I just don't think he's, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, you can take that in a number of different ways, but maybe he just doesn't want to be, you know, so known for it, but still is interested in writing about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, you met him. What What do you think? I think you're right. I think, um, you know what? I don't know. Um, you know, we didn't get as uh, we were. I was hoping to have a lot of, you know, one on one time with him because I have so many questions and, and uh, just to kind of connect some more. Uh, but we never had that chance. Uh, time just flew by. But that is an interesting question. And uh, he is somewhat humble about his his stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I that would be a good question. But uh, some mm. of the examples of his titles are kind of funny. Here's one: A, B, C, D, F, G's. <laughs> Is he talking about G Force? No, he's talking about all of the acronyms and this, you know, group and this group and all of these different groups, especially lately with these potential UFO groups. Where do they lie with all these acronyms? So pretty funny. <laughs> Finally, I do want to talk about, and of course we do in the last couple minutes here, uh, I mentioned this probably every April Fool's uh, day, but it is, I think, the best April Fool's UFO story. But this is a Virgin's UFO prank that happened oh, in yeah. 1989. Uh, this was over London, but it's a really good story where Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin, you know, the owner of Virgin Galactic mm -hmm. and Virgin Airlines and all of that, Virgin Records, of course, I think is where it started. He pulled this UFO prank. And uh, so we've got this article that I posted today as well in the headlines that people can check out, but it is a really funny prank that really scared the police 
and freaked oh, yeah. a lot of people out. Um, but it's a pretty it's a balloon. <laughs> yes, it was a balloon. Now you gave away and, uh, the with engine. a. It's a really some great pictures of it too. There's a, the the bottom lights up, and uh, I guess it's a saucer with the dome on the top and yeah, light you know propulsion lights down below or whatever it is. Sure enough, it's you know this story gets out every pretty much every April first. Somebody kind of talks about this story. Um, and the History Channel has an article out. Actually, I linked to it. It was It's called Nine Outrageous Pranks in History. And one of those nines mm. is this one. And I've seen wow. little bits of it here and there, but they're usually just a little summary of a paragraph or two. So when I put together this article a few years ago, I uh, I wanted to do something that was more full because you never get the full story. And mm. I wanted something with a lot of pictures because you never get, you know, each of these stories, they'll have two paragraphs and maybe one picture. So I wanted to compile a lot of pictures as well. And Virgin had written this great thing about it a few years ago. So I wrote out a really full uh, piece with lots of great pictures from it. Do you know how... Um I didn't read through the article totally, but you know how long this thing was airborne for and and what type of reactions that uh, that they had? Oh, yeah. they. I don't know how long – oh, I do know uh, how long it was airborne, but I can't remember right now. Uh, I'd have to review the story. But, yeah, yeah people freaked out. There were, there were some people who knew, but a lot of people freaked out. And you'll see why. He did this very early in the morning, and when you look at the pictures, you'll kind of see why people freaked out. I mean – it was a oh, UFO. Yeah. It was very intentional <laughs> to look like one. And then the lights, the way it was lit up, was very um, interesting as well. They did a great job. This thing must have been really expensive. Yeah. But uh, yeah. we're out of time, buddy. We are, I see. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Martin Willis uh, from Podcast UFO, for joining us with the news. Uh, my pleasure, as always. We are going to take a short break, and then we will be back with Mike DeMonte of Punk Rock and UFOs, so stay tuned. I am happy to welcome for the first time to Open Mind UFO Radio, Mike DeMonte of Punk Rock and UFOs. Hello, Mike. Hi. Uh, thanks uh, so much for having me. Um, I was saying earlier, kind of before we went on air, that you know I'm really honored to be on the show. You know, we share some mutual friends, and Open Minds TV launched the careers of uh, you know a lot of people that I'm friends with in this field that I kind of gotten to know. And you guys are one of the first websites to um, really uh, put this stuff out there. So thank you. Yes, uh, I am so happy to have you on uh, and to talk to you. This is kind of funny, too, because I've been watching your work ever since you started working, because you started working closely, I know, with Jason. And I, I yeah. remember Jason and Maureen, uh, who used to work for Open Minds, for those who don't know, uh, coming, you know, talking about you when they met you. And uh, I've been wanting to connect ever since then and just haven't had the chance. And it's been so busy, but especially right now. It's like, I got to do it because the moment's right. And we'll get into this, but because of some of what you've been writing about lately. But before we get into that, I do want to kind of talk about who you are, what angle you're taking. Um, so I really love that you're a journalist uh, because, you know, it's important and I understand that perspective and, and that world a bit. So uh, that's what's exciting as well. But it also makes me understand that, you know, 
as you've probably ran into, this is kind of a difficult area to dip your toe in as a journalist. Um, would you agree with that or have you found that to be true? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So just to kind of give you some of my background, um, I mean, currently I teach full time. Um, I, I do my you know UFO research on the side like many of us do. Um, I previously worked at the Eastern Chronicle um, in here in Houston. I did web producing, copy editing. I did writing. I did reporting. I covered music and features and uh, sports. And, um, you know, I used to remember, you know, I used to kind of push for this stuff. And it was always kind of met with, eh, you know, kind of like this criticism. And um, I remember uh, Eric Berger, uh, this name kind of uh, was in the news in our field because he his story on To the Stars going bankrupt became this huge thing. But I used to work with him. We used to work together. And um we got in a little Twitter banter about Bigfoot. So they decided to have us debate Bigfoot on air. We did a Google Hangout on uh, cron.com, which was Eastern Chronicles' website. And it was, it was actually very good, but the, the way they presented it was still very goofy. Like we had a guy in the background in an ape suit towards the end come out, which is kind of funny, kind of lighthearted. But just in general, that's kind of the way these stories were looked at mm-hmm. at one point. Why is that? You know, being a person in journalism, there is always this tendency, and, and I'd love to hear your perspective as to why that happens, to add something goofy, um, whether that be a graphic or, as we've all heard a gajillion times, the X-Files music. Uh, why, does, <laughs> why, why is that? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to answer. Um, you know, in my first book, I talked to, I kind of had a whole chapter about media literacy, and my whole thing was, you know, a lot of times, you know, we see these stories on the news and there's usually, you know, if there's a sighting or reporting, you usually don't see much in terms of a follow up story. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have a story and a lot of times, you know, it's given proper attention, but then it dies from there. You don't have the, the, the you know, the, the follow up or, you know, what's next. And even some of the, the more mainstream cases nowadays, I mean, it's been months since we've heard, you know, after the Pentagon UF story, that was almost a year ago um, at this point. So. Um, I can answer that question in terms of, you know, why do these stories kind of die in the media? Just because a lot of times there's not a follow up because there's a lot of times there's not resources. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you have certain journalists. You have like, like George Knapp, for example. He obviously has some pull where he works so he can do these things. But a lot of journalists don't. They kind of have to go where, you know, go where the money is in terms of, you know, what's going to get clicks and uh, what are the big stories of the day. And sometimes, unfortunately, a UFO sighting is not considered a big story of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of the, you know, the, the the playful nature with the graphics and the musics, that's just probably somebody, you know, in that department just not taking it seriously, unfortunately. But I do think we're we're turning a page in that sense where these stories are being taken more seriously nowadays. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to your colleagues, I'm sure you've heard some feedback because, uh, as you you know, at least it's been my experience. And rightfully so. I mean, this is a thing. You've got you've got a degree in journalism. Journalists are supposed to be skeptical, yes, and um, so they are. And uh, so it's often, you know, you're met with some of the largest skepticism with with fellow journalists. And absolutely, I, I, that's how it should be. I mean, you should question everything. That's the fir- one of the first thing I, w- I learned in college is as a journalist, you need to question everything. But it comes to the point, especially in our field. But everybody is questioning everything to the point where it's no, no one's going to believe anything. Yeah, um, it's good to have a skeptical eye, but it's gotten. I mean, I've only been involved in this field for you know a few years. I mean, I, I've been studying this stuff for my whole life, but I've only been, I guess, visible and active, I guess, ever since I started writing my books. But I've always been interested in the subject, and I've noticed, you know, the, these these people who study this, they're, they're very jaded, mm-hmm. and 
it's you know some of the comments you know Facebook and Twitter it, it's very snarky and it's very kind of back and forth and I mean it's probably like that in anything but you know this is a community that's supposed to be coming together and you know pushing we're all pushing for the same thing and it's kind of hard to see that at times right and it's kind of interesting because uh, you know um, for instance Lou Elizondo when I talked with him earlier on he was like I everybody has to work together you know that's going to be his goal to talk to everybody get everybody to work together I think he's found that that's a much more difficult uh, task than he yes. thought it might be. But you, you felt similarly. I, I remember seeing a lot of your posts that, you know, we all have to work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, in terms, like I said, I don't work full-time in journalism anymore, but I still have a lot of colleagues and I've done some, some local, local press in Texas. And I remember I have a buddy of mine, she's a producer for Fox 26 here. And I was like, Hey, get me on, you know? Um, Cause I was on there. I did their evening show once, but I was like, hey, have me come in in the morning, like be in the studio. And uh, they're like, eh, no, like, you know, they're still kind of like um, hesitant, you know, regarding regarding that. So um, like there, there's not necessarily, I would say, pushback, but it's, you know, there's still other things that take precedent over UFOs and things to that nature. Mm-hmm. I would like, you know, your perspective on, on this as well. And, and I think this is something that a lot of the UFO community quote unquote, or doesn't get completely is that, you know, as journalists, like for instance, with you and I, or with you for speaking with skeptics, you know, your biggest, um, the most convincing to an editor or to a fellow journalist are your sources. Do you have any sources? And typically we don't have credible sources, but with this new, uh, you know, Pentagon program being revealed and, and with two of the stars and their members, all of a sudden, we have a huge ingest mm-hmm. of credible sources, and I think everybody else is frustrated. Well, why didn't anybody listen to us when we were saying some of the things that they said? Yeah. And they don't get it that they're just not n- no disrespect. They they don't have the the background to be considered, you know, a, mm-hmm. a credible source. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, the kind of things I wrote about recently on my website on uh, punkrockandufos dot com was that. A lot of people don't know, you know, journalism, journalists, we rely heavily on these official titles and, mm. and sometimes to a fault. But if somebody works for the government and Pentagon and you quote them, that is an official source. Now, whether they, they lie or not, you know, that's not on the journalist. That's for the audience to decide. And one of the things, you know, I always try to teach my students because I teach journalism as well, is that you, a good story needs to show balance. And you need to have, try to have quotes from, you know, different sources from each side of the, the argument or each side of the story. But a lot of cases in our field, it's hard because a lot of times you only get one source or, you know, the source is the person who, who saw UFO, not the person who said, you know, not the, like I said, not the, uh, the sheriff in town who, who lied about it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times, you know, those stories are hard to track down. If a lot of times I report sightings, uh, people will, you know, call into me or, I mean, email into me or, uh, send me photos and I'll report on their sightings, but I don't have the time because I teach full time and resources to go out to that town and try to track down a cop, you know? So a, a lot of the times you kind of have to go with what we have in terms of resources and time. Mm-hmm. And then it's also hard when you have uh, finding the other side, especially when it comes to doing your due diligence and, and finding a skeptic. At least I find that in that, you know, you want to find someone who's skeptical. But if you go to, let's say, a university professor, they're going to just offhandedly dismiss without educating themselves often. Um, and so that's not fair either, which kind of puts you in a difficult situation. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a very fair. Um, it's a very that's a very fair assumption of it because it's true. Because a lot of times, if you're going to go to somebody who you automatically know is going to shoot down the story, then it's like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, you want to try to get somebody um, who always provides some insight and then go from there. Yeah, and I think you made another really great point that. Uh, just because we're writing about what an official says does not necessarily mean we are validating what they say. Of course, we're going to do our due diligence to um, reveal any deception or any issues that we can uncover about these comments. But it just the fact that an official is saying something is news that justifies it, whether you like that or not, even if you think you can say something better or more wise you just don't have the title, like you said, that this person has. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. It's, it's, that's the official source, and that's what they're saying. And you quote them as so. And like I said, people make their judgments from there. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to punk rock and UFOs, uh, you kind of uh, – the punk rock part is, is – a bit kind of like your mission statement. It fits into at least your perspective of this field, and I, I wanted you to explain that. So the this is always a great um, question when people ask. So the, the book the books are called Punk Rock and UFOs, and obviously the website and the brand is the same name. Um, the idea behind it is, you know, punk rock, the way of thinking, not necessarily the music, um, but the way of thinking. And there's obviously this rebellious nature to it. And why do we choose to rebel against some beliefs and accept others? And I definitely saw a parallel between, I mean, what people believe in terms of religion and uh, political beliefs and, you know, as opposed to what they believe in with UFOs and other stuff. So it's like you can believe in this one thing and accept it, but this other thing is all of a sudden out of the realm of, of possibilities. So I, it's kind of more about our process of belief. And then also too, I mean, the punk rock scene really births a lot of underdogs, you know, a lot of those bands and the mentality. And we are underdogs as well as researchers. And, um, you know, this whole community is kind of underdogs and everything that we're striving for. Um, so one of the things I, I try to do a lot with the website is, and, and with my second book, True Believers, is I try to give us a voice too. Who are these people that are researching this? Um, why should we care? Um, and yeah, what, what can we all do to better understand these questions? Mm-hmm. With your second book also, I mean, is that something that you feel that you find is this kind of rebellious nature in a lot of the you, the researchers? Uh, I, I think in, intrinsically, yeah, because um, like I said, we're we're rebelling against the, this the, these preconceived notions and these you know, like these dismissive um, kind of comments and you know, you know you said earlier with you know the the graphics on TV playing the X Files in the background and you know all those things are kind of dismissive and we're we've been rebelling against that for a really long time. You know, there's some serious people involved in this research and um, with with serious credentials and. Um, this isn't new. There's serious people have been studying this for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, when you're in researching your book and doing your interviews, what was some of the information that you felt? I mean, I'm assuming that you learned. Um, and what was it that was most impactful to you that you learned? That's a great question. Um, so one of the, the, the important things I learned is, you know, you never stop learning. You know, the more people you talk to, the more perspective you get. And just looking at my first and second book, it's like night and day. Like my, my first book is very theory based and very kind of opinionated and it's kind of all over the place. But the second one is just this more concentrated idea of, you know, 
Um, what do we need to do to kind of get more people involved in this? And hey, these are the people who are trying to get more people involved in this. And one of the a big takeaway from me was we all had this commonality where it all started with something that sparked our um, our inner self to want to research this. You know, a lot of people I spoke to had a sighting or they had something. Um, and then next thing you know, years later, they're either doing a podcast, writing a book, um, a YouTube channel or, or a radio show. So it's all started with something. And I think there's something to be said there mm-hmm. um, that, you know, it, it all starts with, with, a, with a spark. Mm-hmm. And that's actually to, to, get, to kind of come back to my original question, which I didn't kind of finish that whole path was what was your spark? So I was interested as a, as a very young child about UFOs and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and Unexplained. Um, I see my mom used to get me these books, these time life books. Every month there'd be a new, uh, it's like these hardcover books. They had these really, um, really, really nice photos inside them. And I was just drawn to them at an early age because, you know, I was, I was a comic book guy. I was a horror movie guy. So to me, it was, this was right up my alley. But at the same time, though, there was like a mystery to it. And there was a truth in there. There was something in there that was, to me, that was nonfiction. So I was always interested in that. And I never really stopped being interested in that. But then uh, I had my first sighting. I remember driving home when I used to work um, downtown. I used to work at the Chronicle. I was driving home and I saw the traditional light orb. And then next thing you know, a couple years later, I'm, I'm writing about this stuff. Um, so that was my, my first sighting that I recall. So that sighting, when, when did you say that was? Uh, I would say, I can't remember the exact year, but it was in the 2000s. So it was probably within the past, was it 2019? In the past 19 years, yeah. I'm, I'm older. I'm in my mid-30s, so that was probably my 20s. <laughs> it's funny you call that older, but in the punk well, rock old, world. Well, you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel older from when, it, from when it happened, but yeah. So, uh, you know, and then, so that kind of experience compelled you. Yeah, it's weird. It wasn't something like instantly. I was like, oh, I, I got to write a book. Mm-hmm. You know, something that kind of just sat and, you know, festered. And then I would probably say maybe a year or two later is when I – or maybe a year later. I don't recall the timeline. But I just remember when I wrote my first book, it was just um, – I, I would get up every day. Um, actually, no, at the time I transitioned into education. So I was a teacher. So I was summers off. So I believe that was my first summer off. So I'd have this routine where I'd get up every morning, write, go to the gym, come home, um, research, write some more, research, go to bed. And I did that for like basically three weeks straight. And next thing you know, I had a book done. So it was it was very I was very involved in it from the um, as soon as I started writing about it, it just kind of took over. Mm-hmm. And then you started your blog just a, a couple years ago, I think, right? Yeah, it was um, right. I'm trying to think when it was probably it's two years old at this point, just because. I felt like I needed a continuation. I wasn't sure, if, you know, how if, if another book was going to happen and when. And people, you know, I wanted to continue to write and research about it. And and the website is basically, you know, it's, it says on the thing, cryptozoology and culture, and it's, yes, you know, it's, it's obviously the more traditional news stories. There's commentary, there's reviews on there as well. So I wanted to be a, a little mix of everything. Um, you know, I, I, I always I always like to kind of interview. You know, the fellow researchers, people who are involved in this as well. So people get to know them and what makes them tick, what makes them, um, you know, what makes them research. And the way, you know, even though it is a blog format and the name is punkrockandufos.com, I definitely approach them like I'm writing a serious news article for print just because I have that background. Mm-hmm. 
which I very much appreciate, and um, and I'm sure others do as well. But um, I guess what is your niche? What do you do? You see kind of a, a space for yourself uh, in, in this arena, and I guess this arena meaning journalism and in UFOs. Uh, and what is that space? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I'm not sure if I really technically thought about that, but like for me. Um, the, the journalism I do now is, you know, I'm not attached to anyone. I'm basically, you know, I have my own website. I don't have an editor to answer to. I don't have an organization to answer to. Um, I do a music blog on the side for the Chronicle still, but that's just like for fun. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't have all those uh, mechanisms controlling what I want to do. So I'm able to still continue this research and do it the way I want to do it. Um, in terms of, you know, this uh, UFO community, uh, I think I'm just one of many newer people just getting involved and um i'm i'm always very uh, honored and humbled when you know people like yourself and other other people ask me to be on their shows and uh, say nice things about me because it's you know that's the biggest takeaway you know mm -hmm. I, I wrote a book and i haven't made any money off those books but um i've had so many opportunities and doors open and to me that means more than you know making 300 dollars in royalties you know mm-hmm and do you think you've? What do you think you you've learned? Especially, I guess, uh, related to especially the community. I mean, it, it can be kind of strange getting to know and, and you know figuring out the space. Uh, and yeah. I've especially kind of you know done this through <laughs> Elizondo's experience in the last year. What was yours like? It's well, you know, it was great because it was very welcoming uh, from the start. Um, it doesn't seem as competitive and cutthroat. I mean, obviously, there's people, you know, who are jaded, and, and mm -hmm. I get that. But Jason McKellen was the first person to reach out to me. Um, he was, you know, Rogue Planet. He was the first one to put me on, put me on a show, and um, automatically, I mean, we had so much in common. And I felt like this, this isn't just a colleague. This is like, even though I've never met him, I mean, we talked on the phone, but like, this is a friend now. So, you know, and then I was talking to, to Ryan Sprague and Eric Lukes and some other people. And, um, you know, it's, it's very tight knit and it's really cool how people are supportive of each other. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's other side to that too, where there's people who've been doing this for a long time and they're jaded. They've been disappointed. They've seen things not go certain ways. And I get that, but it's, you know, it's how you how you choose to respond to it. And yes. A lot of times, a lot of times, it's you know, it's not even worth engaging. You know, some of the people who have arguments. You know, like one of the researchers. I'm not going to name who it is, but uh, I blocked them on Twitter, and I referenced them in my last article because we got into this whole debate because this person believed that to the stars was a mechanism to sell alien T-shirts, mm -hmm. which is probably the <laughs> the worst take I've heard on that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we'll definitely get into some of that because uh, i agree that that's that gets pretty silly out there um but then i guess when it comes to the phenomena itself uh it, at least to me and, and especially as a journalist uh you know for you uh, to me it seems like even though other journalists can't find stories, and I kind of understand that because you got to really kind of get in there, especially with all the, the signal to noise, so much noise. Um, there are a lot of really compelling stories to tell. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And not like not every story um, has to be necessarily huge or groundbreaking. Like I love sharing people's stories. I had um, so at work, we had a professional development day. And I did a class on UFOs and 
cryptozoology and uh, I had a, a teacher come up to me afterwards saying she's had uh, experiences her whole life and she was always ashamed to tell people and she let me tell her story on my website and that was really cool um, because it's, like I said this isn't anything you know, that's going to make front page news but it's still someone's experience that they're sharing um, and you know once again it's up to the audience to decide whether they buy it or not and but there's other stories like uh, I picked up the story that MUFON passed on multiple times um, is this older man who claimed to have um, the, a military experiment on him where he was fed uh, supposedly a serum from an alien spaceship. And everything about his story just sounds like something out of a comic book or science fiction. Like, it sounds crazy. But, you know, he was very eager and helpful to provide proof that he was in the military and his paperwork and his blood work. And he has he had really nothing to gain from this. I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll go for it, even though it kind of sounds out there. But... You know, I did three different stories on him, and um, he was just a sweet old man who wanted his story told. So a lot of times it's giving these people a voice or an outlet for them to tell their story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I know that story. In fact, I was familiar with it. Uh, and, of course, I, I did see you what you had written about it. And those are kind of hard. How do you take those where someone seemingly, you know, genuine – has an extraordinary um, story to tell, that's, that's kind of a tough one to tackle. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I don't take every story that people just kind of throw at me. Um, there's this person on Twitter who was just sending me stuff all the time, and I, was just, I just had to pass because it was so kind of out there. And uh, a lot of it wasn't able to be – so like a lot of times if someone pitches something to me and it sounds like something – I've heard before or something that could be possible, then of course you're I'm more open-minded to doing that story. Um, in this case, you know, it's, you, you kind of have to try to use your judgment and see if this person's credible in the sense that they're not trying to uh, dupe you or deceive your audience. So for, for this one, like I said, I spoke to the guy multiple times um, and he just sounded like a nice guy who wanted his story told. And, and he wasn't necessarily like a ufologist. Like he didn't know a lot of the UFO stuff. Um, he just like, he saw um, the uh, Roswell decoded show on CW. He's like, Oh yeah, Roswell. And he was just kind of <laughs> like, I have a story to tell, you know, that just kind of, you know, jogged back his memory, but he didn't know a lot of cases. Like I told him about, you know, um, Corso's book the day after Roswell and a few other ones. And he, a, a week later he, he called me. He's like, Hey, I read those books. They were great. I had no idea. So it's, wow. you know, it's kind of part of the, the sharing. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got to take a quick break. We're talking to Mike DeMonte of punkrockandufos.com. And uh, we'll take a short break. For those of you listening on a radio channel, then you're going to hear a commercial break. The rest of you will hear a short musical interlude. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio. are back. You're listening to Open Mind GFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we're talking to Mike DeMonte of PunkRock uh, and UFOs.com. And you mentioned one of your recent um, stories uh, that you had written about this gentleman with this, this kind of interesting story claiming to um, have been part of this military experiment where he drank this alien serum. Now, was he convinced that it was extraterrestrial in nature? And was he, did he say he was told that? 
Um, th- yeah, he, he said he was told that, but mm-hmm. he signed these these NDA agreements, and he's at the point where he doesn't care violating because he's 84 years old. Mm-hmm. So at this point of his life, even though he's very healthy, he's in great shape. He doesn't care anymore in terms of if he gets in trouble. Mm-hmm. And what you know, he, he shot a video. I think uh, probably two, two, three years ago, he videoed his whole story, and it's only been like kind of living in on like a few message boards. That's it. Like no, no one's really picked it up and ran with it. So that's why I was like, well, if this is out there, but nobody kind of bid on it, so I wanted to be the one to bite on it because I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I personally feel it's good you did. I mean, with a lot of these, and people get frustrated because I don't write about it. I just like you, you know. I just don't have the time. Yeah. It, it's an it's a great story to get out there, especially if it's someone who sounds, you know, to be of sound mind and have an interesting <laughs> background. Uh, but uh, you just don't have the time. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing too. You know, uh, a lot of us don't do this, um, you know, full time for a living. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's whenever we have the time to do so. And, um, you know, I guess I wish I had more time to vote to, you know, doing three or four, three or four posts a week, you know? Mm -hmm. Now with your stories, do you necessarily make a judgment? So like, uh, how do you feel about, you know, whether or not this particular person is, is, um, you know, accurate that, that, that actually happened. He, He drank an extraterrestrial serum created by the government. Well, well, you know, it's hard because, you kind of have to trust in that case. Well, not trust, but you kind of have to give them the opportunity and then go from there. Um, I, he was able to send me some of his documents um, that I've sh- I showed to a nurse and somebody in the military, and they were able to collaborate that, yes, these are real documents, and this is his blood work, and, yes, this is extraordinary for someone his age. Um, so for me, you know, the fact that I was able to get get a hand to those, you know, uh, um, those documents and go from there was definitely helpful in making that decision to go forward. Mm-hmm. And you know what's it's kind of funny as a journalist because it's a, there's a different perspective also in that we don't necessarily have to know when we put together a story we're looking at um the credibility uh, of like the witness or or the interest in the story but we're not necessarily making judgments we're looking for um information that'll give us something indicators one way or another but at least Many of us, I don't know about if you go about it differently, but I don't judge it. I put together the story to get it out there, and then people will ask, well, what do you think? And I'll be like, I don't know. And they'll be like, oh, you got to know. You wrote about it. You got to believe in it or, or have some opinion. And sometimes I just, I don't know, you know? No, absolutely. Yeah, I hear you. Because sometimes you have to try to keep our personal opinions out of it, too. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. So, uh Blink-182, would you consider them punk rock? Oh, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, 1999 was a year where, you know, you had Blink and previously you had Green Day and all those those bands that were making the mainstream were considered sellouts. But we're like so far past that, you know, those days. And um, obviously I've covered, you know, I've, I've covered their music and their career um, my whole life. You know, I've been a big fan and obviously they're more on the pop punk side um, for sure. But yeah, that's definitely... Uh, was my gateway drug into punk rock music was Blink at a really young age. Mm, interesting. So it had to be especially compelling or impactful to you when, you know, after you even started using this this name punk rock and UFOs, that Tom DeLonge 
comes out so full on about UFOs and eventually really, and I make this justification, I, I don't know if you've seen that in the articles and I think it's true, that we wouldn't have had these Pentagon revelations without him. Uh, yeah, yeah. How, I mean, that had to be pretty a pretty big deal for you especially. Well, I mean, he's never really hid his, you know, his UFO obsession. Um, he's talked about it in interviews before. Um, one of their DVDs, there's like this bonus footage of him going on. Like he's drunk. He drank like a bottle of wine. He was just going on. He was showing all, you know, all the books in his house. And uh, he wrote a song, Aliens Exist. And anyone who's listened to Angels and Airwaves, um, there's, there's very good um, literary references to the mysteries of the universe and um, – kind of secret societies. So all throughout his career, he's kind of been interested in this. And, you know, I'm, I'm kicking myself because I've interviewed him. I've met him multiple times and we never, I never got the opportunity to ask about this because at the mm -hmm. time I was asking him about, you know, Blink and when um, Angels and Airwaves was here in Houston years ago, I, I interviewed him backstage and it was obviously, you know, I, get, I got through in some fanboy questions there, but never at the time did I think to ask him about that. I don't know why uh, I should have, because now he's a really hard guy to get in touch with. Um, Obviously, you know, went to the Stars Academy and things are being controlled a certain way. You know, um, uh, kudos to you. you you're probably you're the first one to get um, Mr. Elizondo. So that that's huge. And uh, I think that's great that they're starting to come out and slowly talk more to outlets and and be more transparent, because I think that's what a lot of people wanted for the past year. Yeah, that's what's been hard, too, because, um, you know, Jason and Maureen got that great interview for Open Minds with Tom DeLong yes. uh, a few years ago, and I haven't had the opportunity to. I've got to speak with him off the record uh, about several things in the last few years, well, all related to all of this, but it's all had to be off the record. And yeah. so... Um, and, and it's not because, oh, major secrets or something like that. Yeah. It's just because rightfully so they're being careful about how they're releasing information and you know right now lose the guy who's sharing the information about the group um so i i know what you mean and it's still i guess you, you know uh, did you did it really hit you how significant and i imagine it was but i just kind of i'm curious about your reaction how significant you know these stories were um you know, back in 2016 with October, his To the Stars Academy coming out, and then soon after the Pentagon story. I guess, uh, how did you react to To the Stars uh, being created? Um, so, uh, optimism, I guess, is, is the, the best way to say it. But you also have to be skeptical, too. And to this day, you know, I'm, I've said multiple times, I'm not really a fan of the business model aspect to it. But um, I, I do say this. You know, the Pentagon UFO, UFO story was big um, for a lot of us because it confirms what a lot of us have been saying for years regarding secret programs. So, you know, uh, he's taken risks his whole life and his whole career. So for him to walk away from Blink, um, which was the band he created and is one of the largest bands in the world to do this, um, he obviously has a lot of people um, involved that ha or have credibility. Um, so it's kind of ex it was kind of exciting, you know, just to kind of see where it goes from there and um, everything that they slowly said it was going to happen is slowly happening for the most part. It may not be as fast as, you know, some people want or as specific, but I always said, Hey, worst case scenario, if we get a documentary TV series or a movie, or if we get, you know, we get this, like, it's not a, it's not a complete loss. You know, I think people have these, these lofty expectations, you know, let them do their work and it may take a while, but you know, if, if they get people talking, you know, um, 
Mr. Elizondo has been all over, you know, some major media outlets, you know, um, he's been referenced in, in plenty of articles. And I think, you know, he's the guy going forward because he has so much credibility because of his, his background. And a lot of, he's going to be a household name sooner, sooner rather than later. So what is shocking though, especially as, as someone writing about this, this all, and, uh, who's a student of, of kind of the history of UFO research, um, and it was probably shocking to you. It was shocking to me because I, Tom DeLong personally had been telling me, you know, here and there that big stuff is coming, big stuff is coming. And even I was kind of like, yeah, sure, we'll see. But uh, I was not prepared for and, of course, was completely shocked and still am to this day about everything that is kind of happening at this point. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's like I said, a lot of it's a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Um I was I was never shocked by him kind of hyping things up because he's been that way his whole career. Um, that's not a bad thing. That's just you know like I said, I've interviewed him before about Blink and about Angels and Airwaves, and he always he knows how to get people excited about projects he's working on. Um, does he always deliver? I mean, that's up to people to decide. But I always think his heart's in the right place, and he has you know he, he aims high, and that's something uh, I think that's very admirable. Mm-hmm. I think that's another there's another disconnect there too also and 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 let's get into that so first, this is a question kind of leading in into this next set of questioning is the pacing like you said, people have been disappointed about information not coming out quickly enough. Have you felt that same disappointment? Have you felt oh man, they're so slow in their release of information um no, because I understand. So to, to the stars, it was a, still a very small operation, even though they had a lot of big people working for them. Um, I know in San Diego, they obviously to the stars aspect of it, the, the entertainment aspect of it, it's still a very, you know, very small business. It's almost family ran at this point. Um, but going forward, you know, I think it's going to obviously have to grow if, you know, if the Academy is going to take off and so forth. So, and I also know how, how he works you know he doesn't work well with deadlines tom likes to work at his own pace that's why musically angels and airwaves is his baby and he's able to kind of do things as he pleases and that's why that was a major rift with blink um, that he had with the other members of blink but no i mean i think with something like this though intrinsically you have to be patient because there's there's analysis that needs to be done um you know with these television networks there's contracts like for anyone who's you know ever done television or even interviewed with producers they know that Sometimes producers will be gung ho about a show, and then the, the network will sour on it, or you know, or, or the direction will change, or so forth. So these things take time. All these things that they promised, like I get it, it's going to take time, absolutely, because they're not self-releasing any of this stuff. You know, there's obviously other um, companies and people involved. Right, right, and so I, it's kind of been a disconnect for me also because I'm like you. I've been like you know, when people say that. Uh, recently, I was on a podcast uh, and. Uh, Steinfeld, Steinfeld uh, is his name, but uh, it was sort of the same thing. He's like, you know, people are so frustrated with him. Like, there's nothing that's come out uh, since the announcement. I'm like, are you kidding? There's a ton that's come out. And I shared that with him and how I felt, at least from my perspective, we've been getting a lot of of great information, um, you know, since they've been releasing it. Although uh, there's also kind of a different expectations with what information's coming out. And I could see that. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So for instance, and it's partially Tom's problem. And I kind of have written about this as, as well. He kind of set up this expectation of some really extraordinary wild kind of revelations that were coming. 
Um, and that's what a lot of people in the UFO community were expecting. Now, what was announced for me, uh, from my perspective, was just jaw-dropping and amazing and, and the absolutely most incredible type of information I could hear, which is that these government uh, agencies were, were existed and that these ex-officials are now coming out and working with Tom DeLonge. Um, so for me, that was great. But for a lot of others, they were wanting to hear about the aliens at Roswell and, and about Dulce and all of this other stuff. And I think they still expect that's what is coming out. Yeah, I mean, who knows, you know, but like you said, we have to, you know, keep our expectations to, you know, um, um, I was going to say, Tom did a, um, a little short documentary um, with this group called uh, Meta. It's like, like a motorcycle thing. And he, he ref- referenced to the stars as a um, as an aerodynamic. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's the wrong word. Aerospace. Uh, I said a brain fart. Yeah, he's an aerospace company. And it's like, it's not that yet. It's like pump the brakes. But like, hmm. that's just him speaking and aiming high. And, you know, someone's going to hear that and say, oh, he's lying. They're not this. They haven't done this. But that's just, like I said, him speaking and aiming high. So I think well, the first year to the stars, you obviously we had, you know, the Pentagon UFO story and all these official people coming out, which is great and fantastic. But then, you know, um, no one was speaking. They really weren't speaking to the media outside of that. You know, um, Tom wasn't doing any press outside of a few uh, mainstream outlets. And then it got pretty much shut down after the Joe Rogan interview. And now you see Elizondo, now he's coming out, he's doing some press, and now you see him uh, showing up to conventions. So maybe there were some things that they couldn't discuss at the time. I don't know. But I think this is good now that they're being more transparent because I think that was one of the um, main concerns with them the first year. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're kind of in a def- tough spot, and I don't think people see that as well. And I think that, uh, you know, in Alabama recently, uh, Lou talked about this, and that uh, he's got to walk a very fine line because he, there's certain things he cannot say. He could get in a lot of trouble for. And also he has colleagues where he doesn't want to step on their toes. So he's kind of this de facto spokesperson, even though he doesn't want to be. And he shouldn't yeah. be. But he's the one everybody wants to hear from. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think he's doing a great job. And I think going forward, he probably will be the spokesperson in terms of that sense, just because – um, like he doesn't have to do this, but he is. And I think a lot of people in their community appreciate that, that he's going to these conventions, you know, um, and a lot of them are small. Like the Alabama one, did, I, I didn't even hear about it till like a week before. I'm like, oh, this is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, I think that that speaks volumes about, you know, his um, uh, his dedication. Mm hmm. Yeah, and so and I think that's been important. But uh, also your article. So you've written about you know some of the detractors, some of the people who are upset, and you mentioned. Uh, and I wanted to talk some more about you know your article and kind of how you've dispelled some of the, the what you see in lapse of logic. Um, yes. So for instance, uh, which makes it yeah, Tom's got a lot of money and he is not in trouble financially uh fortunately for him um and hopefully this project does not put him in any financial jeopardy (laughs) but um yeah he's not doing this for t-shirts and book sales yeah because anyone who's written a book knows you don't make money unless your name's like stephen king (laughs) yeah exactly so um but what are some of the other you know arguments that you've seen that you think are kind of uh, invalid 
Well, I, I think obviously it starts with there. This is a money grab or, you know, oh, this is just another, you know, one of these, these uh, you know, these egotistical celebrities trying to throw their hat in the game. Um, you know, this isn't Megan Fox hosting a show, you know, that she doesn't need. This isn't William Shatner hosting a show he doesn't need to host. You know, this is somebody who's actively been involved with this stuff, into this stuff for a really long time, who's passionate about it, who's putting his money where his mouth is and wants to do something about it. You know, um, like I just said, you know, a lot of these things are common sense things that, you know, why would you leave arguably one of the biggest bands in the world to come up with some company to fraud people? You right. know, like it's, it just doesn't make logical sense and um, that it's all going to be fiction and it's all UFTainment and it's all this stuff. It's one of the, I mean, the things they said, you know, they have three nonfiction book series. I'm sorry, the three books in the nonfiction book series. They said this documentary is coming out. Obviously, there's a fictional aspect of that they're doing, too. But they said that from the start. They said that before the Academy even happened, before, you know, when uh, anything about UFOs even happened. You know, Tom was doing his fictional series with the po- poet Anderson and Strange Times. So, you know, it, this this isn't a, um, a front, you know, to, to sell Hollywood projects. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's another thing, too. And then. Oh, just in terms of like the the patients, you know, these things take time, and I think that's a logical thing. If if they have this data like they say they do, and they're analyzing it, you'd want it to go through the proper um, avenues to say, you know, you you wouldn't want that rushed. So let them do their due diligence and just see from there. Be patient, right? And like you said earlier, they're they're a small group. I mean, it, it really not all of the people that are listed as team members are full time TTSA. Yeah. Some of these people, I mean. I don't think people realize, I mean, Chris Mellon, some of these others, these people come from some very, very, uh, you know, substantial backgrounds, um, hobnobbing with billionaires and everything. They have a lot of their plate. And you you have to imagine that they're taking up substantial pay cut. Right. Um, And some of them, fortunately, they don't need money either. I mean... um, for since the melons, they've got plenty of money. Still there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, a lot of those people are, like you said, are set already for life in terms of money. Yeah. Um, I think you know. I don't know. I can't speak to all their financials, but you know, Tom doesn't need money. Um, he, if he wanted to, he could probably fund a lot of this himself. But then again, you know, that's it's a lot to ask. I think. Hmm. There's a couple other things that I wanted to ask you about, and and it's also kind of to check myself to see if I'm off on this at all. And, and I like to do that a lot, but especially with you've got a journalist background. One of the big questions out there is whether um, ATIP had anything to do with UFOs. And, um, you know, there are arguments that we don't have any documents explicitly saying that, which is true. However, we do have uh, – some people have argued all we have is loose word. Well, not necessarily. We also have Harry Reid's word. We also have um, all of the big low aerospace people. At least we've heard from Hal Putoff, you know, Eric Davis. We've heard from others who confirm that as well. And, of course, if people knew the background, which many of these people who are making these claims do, Bigelow has been looking into UFOs for a long time and then was contracted to do that. So there's – I don't understand any doubt. And as a journalist, and I think this is another thing that they're not getting, uh, as a journalist, we're looking for credible sources to say this was a UFO program. When we have the guy who ran the program, um, the Harry Reid, who generated the funds for the program, 
and scientists who are inside the program all confirming this, we don't need an official document. We got the guys in the program telling us this. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, I know even the, the, the documents that have came out, you know, people like to argue, you know, the plain semantics, was it A-tip, was it with, with a W, was it with a T, you know, all, all you know, with, with the different names it was. And we have to understand with anything of the Freedom of Information Act, it's partial disclosure. So things could be redacted. So there could be things in there that we have not seen or they're not um, disclosing. So the fact that we haven't got an official document that says in big, bold letters, ATEP was a 100% UFO program, you know, I, I don't think that's that's the smoking gun. You know, I, I think as of right now, um, you know, we have these people's word and we have some documentation that these programs existed, even though it doesn't say the word UFO and it says other things. We know that they were investigating uh, anomalous activity. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and, and so hopefully we'll get some more information out, but you know, there's been a little bit more, uh, information we've gotten even recently. Uh, I noticed you retweeted UFO Joe, who, uh, was recent at uh, the recent talk by George Knapp and, uh, George kind of filled in a few of the gaps there and explained how, uh, he got a lot of this information from, uh, sources he cannot share in, uh, Washington, D.C., yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think, uh, I mean, George Knapp is a journalist, and a lot of times you're not allowed to share your sources. Or if you do, you have to get that approved by your editor. Um, I, I would think some of um, George Knapp's editors at IT in Las Vegas know his sources. I would definitely think those are some of the people who know him for sure. Um, very few people probably know them, but I would argue that um, if he run, ever runs any of those stories, that they're going to go through one of those editors first. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And, and of course, um, as we know, with, with journalists, they're going to be skeptical and they're going to be hard on the information. And, and I'm in fact, they give uh, surprised they give George so much leeway that they do to run so many of these stories. And I'm which is great because we get so much really good information from George Knapp. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, he has he's been doing this forever and he, he has the credibility within his organization and as a journalist and, you know, throughout us. So it's, it's really cool that he's able to, you know, be one of those mainstream journalists. Obviously there's Leslie Keen and uh, Ralph Blumenthal too, who work for a, a big news outlet. Um, you know, they have the credibility and they're willing to write these articles and their outlets are willing to support them for running it. So, uh, what's next for you? So you've got, are you working on another book? Uh, do you, are there, is there another kind of angle you're looking at tackling, uh, in your blog? Um, so what's next for me? Eventually I'd like to write another book. Um, I have some other books, non UFO related, potentially, uh, in the pipeline. Um, as far as my blog goes, you know, punkrockinfos.com just continue what I'm doing and just monitoring all these stories and seeing who I could speak to next and who wants to come to me next. And, um, there's possibly some other opportunities, um, in multimedia. I don't want to kind of reveal anything because I don't know anything yet. And I don't want to jump the gun, but, um, I may be able to go, you know, uh, use some someone else's resources to go research some things and maybe it'll be on TV or the Internet. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, um, that's what's next. And, like, you know, a, a lot of this is, you know, like I said, we have to be patient. You know, so, so many of us don't have the resources to go out ourselves and, you know, go hunt down, uh, you know, politicians and 
um, you know, break into Area 51. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of it is, you know, we have to wait and see and, and go from there. Mm-hmm. Punk Rock and UFOs.com is where everybody can find your books and, and your blog. Is there Are there any other URLs or, or maybe social media you want to send people to? Uh, that's it. Um, I mean, my social media is at Mike DeMonte on Twitter. Um, I tweet, obviously, about the subject and um, my other interests as well, if you can get past that. But, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I love the other interests as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much. Like I said earlier, this is an honor to be on. And as soon as you asked me, I got really excited. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much to Mike DeMonte for being on the show. It was wonderful to have him. A lot of really cool information. Be sure to check out his website, punkrockandufos.com, for more information uh, and also information on how to get his book. You can see some of his blog. Uh, you can also even got merchandise up here. Uh, help him out by buying some of his cool shirts and other stuff here. Lots of really cool stuff. But anyways, I really appreciate having Mike uh, around. I've appreciated his blogs and some of what he's been contributing uh, to this conversation. And of course, it's great to have uh, someone else who's a fellow journalist so that uh, we can kind of uh, share our perspective so people can understand, you know, where we're coming from. And speaking of a lot of the cool information coming up, the SEU, the Scientific Coalition for Ufology. So this is an organization I've talked quite a bit about because I've been involved with uh, working with them and getting information out and um, hopefully getting access to the world of academia and, and science. And so... Uh, their website is the place to go for information about the Anomalous Aerial Phenomena Conference. So the conference they put together that went on a couple weeks ago, wonderful conference that Luis Elizondo was at. So explorescu.org. That's the official release of information. Unfortunately, there were some people who shared uh, information a little prematurely. Uh, they were recording and or uh audio taping, you know, the talks. And, you know, some people said, well, why couldn't we do that? And, and the reason is that, you know, as we get in these conversations, and I tell you guys this sometimes, you know, when, and you guys know this, when you're talking with people one-on-one, uh, then you share stuff that you wouldn't share publicly. That's just obvious, right? And if we want to get in kind of these think tank type of situations where we're kind of talking about things and spitballing, you know, there's going to be information that will be shared that uh, not everybody's wanting to share. So, for instance, information could be taken out of context. Or uh, we talked with Kevin about this last week, Kevin Knuth, one of the scientists who was there. And he talked about how it's important that, uh, you know, anything we say or do is is handled carefully and correctly. And uh, that's why we're careful about releasing what we're releasing, getting permission before we're doing it. That's a professional and respectful way to do it. There's no way as a journalist that I can go to any event and then um, just, you know, write about things when I was asked not to. I, I, even then, I'm even more careful to make sure, hey, this was a topic, this was a situation that was all clear, right? And especially when you're working with scientists, you also need to make sure you're framing the information, right? To make sure you're accurate because it's so, so complicated that if you want to share with the public accurate information, then you've got to verify that you're doing it correctly. So there's a number of reasons that, why that's important. And there's a number of reasons why 
for the AAPC, uh, for that event, uh, really explorescu.org is the official outlet and the best outlet for that information. And there's going to be more and more coming uh, to the website there that you'll see. So you'll see there's an AAPC link and there'll be some more videos and information. One exciting piece of information that's coming really soon is the Nimitz report. So the uh, investigation that uh, SCU members... Peter Reale and Robert Powell did into the Nimitz case, and that's really exciting. I got to see a little bit of a preview and a presentation they did at the event, but uh, they did some really great work there. Uh, talked to many witnesses, uh, and many more witnesses, and have even been heard out there. So uh, it's a lot of fun. So you'll be able to check that out soon as well. Of course, as usual, please do go to the UFO Congress and get on the email list. That has kind of become uh, the de facto Open Minds email list, to be honest, because as Open Minds, you know, I'm the only guy and I'm working from home working on Open Minds at this point. We used to have a staff, as you all know, people like we were mentioning earlier, Jason and Maureen. But no longer. It is just I. And the website is kind of hosted remotely by uh, John Rayo, who owns the company. And uh, there's changes that go on. And it's not like, you know, they have a whole corp company to run over there. So like email right now, we really just don't have an email list uh, ability to send out to on the open mind side. But we do on the UFO Congress site. So we have been sending out UFO Congress emails and we do include information and stories on uh, Open Minds as well. So if you haven't joined that email list, please go to ufocongress.com and do so. And uh, if you are already on the Open Minds list, you you will be fine because that was a joint list of the Congress and Open Minds. And uh, so keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, uh, other cool stuff at the UFO Congress, there's a lot of new products there for those of you who like UFO and alien kind of paraphernalia and clothes and junk like that. Lots of really fun stuff there. So you can find that at ufocongress.com. Otherwise, I want to thank Martin Willis for the news. Martin Willis of Podcast UFO. The news that we talked about can be found on the front page of openminds.tv, including that fun story uh, from April Fools of 1989, where Richard Branson fooled a Virgin Galactic, you know, kind of fooled all these people in London. Great story. So check that out if you haven't before. But again, you can find that all on the front page of openminds.tv. Otherwise, I want to thank Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music, Systematics for the bumper music, and of course, as usual, I want to thank you, the listeners, for being here once again. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time, which will just be next week, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Adios, muchachos.